Today's reading is from first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, and then from verse 35 all the way to verse 58. You can find it in the Church Bible on page 815. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you would have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man, from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much, Peter. If you can have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15 as we go through this text, I'm sure it'll help you. Uh, But let's um, pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we once again give you great praise and thanks for the good news of Christmas, that God became incarnate in Jesus Christ, that you gave yourself um, to be with us, to live for us, and to die for us, and to rise uh, for us. And we thank you for the hope that you've given us. And we pray that as we come to this text, you will, you will enlarge our vision of what that hope means for us, that you will give us, instill us in us the meaning of Christmas, that we might live um, as hopeful people, um, that we might give uh, hope to, the, to, to others around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask, what was the best Christmas gift that you received um, this Christmas season? I don't know if you're one of those people who really anticipate receiving these gifts on, <coughs> and on Christmas Day, opening up the gifts. <coughs> we often talk about how God, in Jesus Christ, gave himself as the perfect gift. But finding a perfect gift really is very difficult. Trying to find a perfect gift is very difficult. And God, we say, became this perfect gift on the Christmas day. But why? What does it mean to receive Jesus Christ? What does it mean that Jesus came to earth? Why is he such a perfect gift? And it's easy to get lost on the sort of magic of Christmas and the atmosphere of Christmas, and not think about why Jesus came, why he is such a perfect gift. It's uh, easy not to talk about the meaning of Christmas. What does his becoming a baby, his dying and resurrection accomplish for us? This is what we've been talking about in this short series about the second coming, how Jesus came, um, and what he will do when he comes the second time. And today, uh, what if I told you that sort of the, the gift, Jesus is a perfect gift because one thing that he will give us is a perfect body. Not just a flat stomach like Charles has, but one, a body that is immortal. And this thing about this perfect body isn't secondary to the Christian faith. In fact, Apostle Paul thinks this is at the heart of what Christianity is about. This is part of the gospel. When many people think about the gospel, they think how uh, think think about how Jesus came on Christmas Day and then how he died for our sins. Christmas begins that story of Jesus and that story ends with Jesus dying on the cross for us. And it is right that Christmas and Easter are at the heart. I mean, and Good Friday are at the heart of the gospel, but that is not the whole of it. The Easter comes after the Good Friday. Jesus didn't just come to die, but he came actually to rise again within a new body. So take a look at verse 3 and 4, where Paul summarizes what the gospel is there. He says there, 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared. The gospel didn't end with Jesus dying on the cross. He was buried, and most surprisingly, on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, and appeared to many people. And Paul says, this is of first importance. And that is not just talking about Jesus' birth, and it's not just talking about Jesus' death, but it talks about Jesus' resurrection as well. This is so important that he will repeat this again and again uh, in the parts that we haven't read. If you have the Bible open, look down to verse 14. Paul says there, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Verse 17 again, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, and you are still in your sins. Why is it so important that Jesus rises again from the dead? Once again, we've been talking about for three weeks now uh, in this short series on the second coming. The incarnation and the resurrection are important because they tell us that human beings are designed to be in physical bodies. Jesus on Christmas Day affirms the goodness of humanity, goodness of human bodies. He assumes human body. This isn't some sinful thing that we will escape. Jesus assumes human body, and he dies, and he rises again in this glorious new body. Jesus shows that our weak and fallen and dishonorable bodies are not always going to be this way. And think about the cross. There he pays the penalty of our sins. That's true. But if Jesus had just gone into heaven and didn't come back from the dead, if he escaped his body and returned to heaven, then one, we would follow him there. After we die, we will escape to heaven. And number two, then this would mean that the curse of death that has fallen to this world, to our bodies, will still be there. This means that sin and death still will win. But Jesus rose again from the dead. Jesus dawned on new bodies to be the first fruit of the new creation, first fruit of those who have fallen asleep in verse 20. He's called the first fruit because many will follow. He's just the first. This was God's plan of redemption. All those who are in him will be raised again in the resurrection for, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. This means that all death, as Peter read so beautifully, will be swallowed up in victory. There will be no more death in the new creation. We sing of this on Christmas too. For when we sing, Hark the Herald, we sang it many times, I think, this, uh, when we went caroling and this Christmas day. Born that a man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give him second birth. Hark the herald, angel sings. Glory to the newborn king. Born to raise the sons of earth. So no man will die. This is why Jesus came on Christmas Day. And once again, this gives us great hope. Um, because on Christmas and on you know, major holidays like New, Chinese New Year's and, and things like that, the memories of our families and friends who have passed away come back to us, don't they? We miss them and want to be with them. And that is the good news, that Jesus came in physical body. He rose again in the glories of the new bodies. And what this means for us is that for those of us who died in Christ, 
not in uh, will come back to life, not in some semi-bodiless state, but in this physical world, in physical bodies, and you will be able to hug them. You will be able to talk with them. You will be able to eat with them. You will be able to enjoy life again with them. That is the good news. Christmas gift of Christmas, uh, Christ is much bigger than you might have imagined. This baby promises end to death. That's what came, uh, Christ came to accomplish, the promise of the resurrection. And when we rise again, we will be different. We will be different. Last week we talked about how each of us will shine God's glory. And we looked at Revelation 21. And John pictures us shining as brilliantly as, as pure gold and jas- uh, um, jasper, sapphire, emerald, awnings, uh, ruby, crystallite, beryl, topaz, and so on. We will shed our old bodies and we will shine with the glories of Christ. That was what was promised in Revelation 21. In fact, Paul tells us today this is necessary that we need to assume new bodies because the, the, um, the, this, this our, our bodies right now, current bodies, simply cannot cope with the new world that is to come. So Paul says in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood refer to our present perishable, weak, and natural bodies. And this body is not fit for the new creation. Perishable bodies do not belong in the imperishable world. Our present bodies are too weak for that substantive, glorious world that is to come. This is how one commentator put it. By taking examples from different aspects of the created order in verses 39 to 41... Paul shows that the Creator God is accustomed to producing many varied kinds of bodies. He thus ensures that each is, each is specially suited for its own particular environment. A star will not function in the water, nor will a whale cope with the sky. Each is perfectly suited to its own location. In the same way, our physical bodies, ideal for this earthly existence in spite of their mortality, will be useless in the perfection of God's kingdom. If we are going to live in this new imperishable world, we will need bodies that are suited for it. We will need to be transformed into Christ-likeness so that we can be with him. So then what kind of bodies will we receive? Paul tries to give a hint of this. Uh, he, he gives us, uh, he doesn't have sort of the right words, um, so he gives us an analogy. He gives an analogy of seed and a plant in verse 36. How foolish! What you sow does not come, it doesn't come to life unless it, unless it dies. He says that there are old bodies will die. It will be shed away. And then he continues in verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed perhaps what wheat or something else but god gives it a body as he has determined to each kind and and to each kind of seed he gives it its own body 
When you plant the wheat seed, it's just a seed. But when it comes again, it comes with the new glories of a new body. It becomes a wheat. And that's what Paul says. We will be, we will be, we will be sown. Our bodies will be sown. And when we rise again, we will receive a whole new body different from our current one. But it'll be one that is suited for the new creation. And Paul then compares the two bodies in verses 42 and 42 and 42 and 44. Our current bodies, he says, are perishable. It will decay and it will be eaten by worms. The new bodies are imperishable. It's not affected by death. And it will last forever. Our present body is sown in dishonor, he says. I think partly this means that it's sown with all these dishonorable desires that are in us. Our bodies urge us to see things that we shouldn't see, to do things that we shouldn't do, to desire things that are forbidden. But this, these distraught, honorable bodies will be buried. And when they're raised up, they will be raised in glory. We will want to see and do and desire the right things in our new bodies. Our bodies will desire the right things. Our present body, he says, is buried in weakness. If you're getting a bit old, you know what this means very well. If you're 18, enjoy it while it lasts because it doesn't last. All of us... Our bodies are sown in weakness, but they will be raised in power. Our natural bodies, Paul says, will pass away. And we will be raised with the spiritual body. Having spiritual bodies won't mean that we will just sort of float around in spirits. But I think what he's saying is that what powers the new bodies will be different. Rather than the natural food that we eat that becomes a source of power for us, it'll be, we will receive, we will receive power. We will be powered by the life-giving spirit of Christ. I think this means that eating in the future will be optional, but I'm not actually too sure about that. That's completely speculative. But if you're asking, how will this happen? Well, I don't really know, and Paul's not quite sure how exactly it will happen, but he says it will happen, and it will happen in a flash. Verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not fall, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In that fraction of a second where you can blink, we will be raised, and we will have received new bodies when Jesus comes back. When I imagine what this might be like, I think of people who hear or see for the first time. Have you ever seen videos of people who get these uh, cochlear implants? Cochlear implants allow some deaf people to be able to hear again. There is a, I think, very moving YouTube video of a 29-year-old woman who uh, gets this implant. And in that office, in the doctor's office, they turned this thing on. And when it gets turned on, she, she, she pauses because she starts to hear for the first time. And then she smiles all of a sudden. And then after a few, a few, a few seconds, she starts crying. Because she hears for the first time. It's, a, it's an overwhelming experience for her. And I think having new bodies that's unaffected by death and decay, that's, that's, that's been stricken by the curse of the fall, 
I think will be like that for us. Our, all our senses will be heightened. We will perceive things that we could never see with our fallen eyes and fallen bodies. We will experience the world differently because we will have bodies that are imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. I'm sure at first it will be overwhelming for us to see ourselves as we were truly meant to be. And to be able to, able to perceive the world as it was meant to be seen. Not only that, I think this means that we will be able to do more. We will be able to love and serve without getting tired. We will be able to work without the curses of that work. We will be able to live this full and abundant life in ways that we couldn't have imagined living. We will really live this full life. When Christ comes back. And this is why Jesus came on the Christmas day. So he could create a new humanity. Take a look at verse 45. He talks about first Adam and the second Adam. First man and the second man. The first Adam, verse 45, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Verses 47 through 49. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born, uh, have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. See, Jesus came to be the second Adam. He has come to create a new humanity. He will breathe in us new spirit. He will give us new bodies that are fit for the coming world. And those who belong to Christ will then bear his image, image of the heavenly body. Have you seen this picture that's been floating around the Internet by Sister Grace Remington, is a nun? It shows Eve sort of stricken with a look of guilt. She sinned. But God did not leave Adam and sin, alone in their sin. Even as God curses the snake, there in Genesis chapter 3, 15, God promises, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So Eve has her hand on Mary's sort of womb there. And Mary um, has her hand on, on, uh, on Eve as if to comfort her, as, it's, as if to tell her, all will be okay. Your guilt, your sin will be removed. This Son, our Savior, has come. Christ was born to crush the head of the serpent. He has come to free us from the bondage of sin and death. He has c- come to create a new humanity that will be freed from curse. We will shed the image and the curses of the earthly man and we'll take on the image of the heavenly man. The woman's offspring came 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ. He died to take away our sins. He then rose again to remove the curse of decay and death. He became the first fruit. But this new world and the gift of new bodies will only come to those who belong to the second Adam. 
Remember, verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So if you are exploring the Christian faith, I do want to ask you, do you belong to the second Adam? Yet even on Christmas Day, many live without knowing that the world has changed because of Christ. Christmas Day, for many people, is, uh, is about such trivial things as Santa and sentimentality and gifts. How easily satisfied we are. The resurrection is offered to us. Glories of the new bodies is offered to each one of us. And yet we cling only to the stuff of the earth. What is the best gift you've received this Christmas? For the Christian, it's gift of Jesus. And for those of you who still haven't yet received him, receive him. He promises much more than you can ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he came to save us from our sins, to die for us. And Lord, we thank you that his death and his resurrection means so much more than we could ever imagine. Lord, in this Christmas season, help us to enjoy, help us to look forward to what will come, what you have made, your coming has made possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.